This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ryan Kennedy here. It's Ken Campbell here. A lot of different things to get through today. We're going to start with some some downer news. Andrew Shaw, the Chicago Blackhawks, yesterday, Monday, announcing his retirement. And he's not even 30 years old, citing concussions as the problem. And that comes from, you know, the same, if you look at the history of those Blackhawks teams that were tracing back to the cup winners in 2010, 13, 15, you had Steve Montador on the 2012 team that Andrew Shaw was on. You had Daniel Carcillo on the team that won in 2013 with Andrew Shaw. So you have a few Blackhawks players that have that checkered concussion history. Of course, Steve Montador took his own life. So you see this sort of lineage and it's sad. And I get the sense that Andrew Shaw has almost learned from what he's seen from these past teammates and he's trying to get out early. So what I'm curious for you guys is, do you think this is something we're going to start seeing more often, players retiring before 30, now that we know more about concussions and the long-term effects? Kenny? I do. Um, I do. I mean, I, I guess the good thing, if there is for Andrew Shaw, is that, you know, he's got career earnings of over $25 million. So, so I mean, you know, he neither he nor his children probably would ever have to work another day in their lives. Um, that's, that's, I, I don't want to boil it down to that, but I think that's important to know because that makes the decision a lot easier. You know, if you're a guy who's up and down, you know, you're, you're scratching for a, a minimum contract every year and you're going on one year deals and, you know, the best you can get is maybe a one way deal two years or something at the, at the NHL minimum, you know, you, you may not be in the position to make that decision. You know, the decision that Andrew Shaw made for the best you know, the decision that obviously was best for him, best for his health, best for his family. Uh, you know, I, I was looking at, uh, he started playing major junior, I think in 2007 or 2008, uh, in that time through his NHL career, he had 83 fights and in the NHL, he had a thousand, over a thousand hits. And I'm sure he took just as many. And I, and I bet you in those 83 fights, he was probably the smaller guy in, 75 of them at least, you know? Um, so that's a lot. That's a, that's a big beating to be taking, uh, you know, over the course of a career, getting hit that much, getting punched in the face that much. Um, you know, I applaud him for the decision that he made. I'm glad it, it was, it was wonderful to hear him say, I'm going to listen to the doctors this time. Um, and, you know, I wish him nothing but the best. I wish him nothing but, but good luck. And I certainly hope that he sets a template for other players, uh, you know, in the future who say, you know, it's, it's, it's just not worth it. Yeah. And I, I think that that concept of the, the walk away money that Ken brought up is really important. And it's something we've seen in, in football to a more dramatic effect in the past couple of years where you're seeing guys retire after playing like three seasons or, you know, even like two seasons where, you know, in, in football, I know that they, they get a lot of money right up front and, and it makes it much easier, but you know, you're talking about an occupation as a professional athlete in a contact sport where it's high risk, high reward. And as Ken mentioned, you know, in the past, it was keep your head down. You're lucky to have this job. Just go out and do it. We'll worry about the health benefit, you know, the health uh, effects later. But now guys and, uh, you know, especially their agents are a lot more conscious of this. And, if you put in your time and, and, you know, you made a, a nice little uh, nest egg for yourself and your kids and, and possibly even their kids. Uh, and in the case of Andrew Shaw, he got to the top of the mountain. He has Stanley cups. And so if you think about it, you know, the life of a professional athlete, uh, at least, you know, their, their career span isn't that long to begin with. If you can get out with titles money and your health. I mean, that's a fantastic scenario and, you know, wish all the best to Andrew Shaw. Um, you know, he's, he's getting out, uh, at a, at a good time for him, it appears. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see it more because guys are making that walk away money that they weren't making 30, 40 years ago. For sure. And, and I think it's telling, um, it's a good sign in a way that, that Daniel Carcillo actually put a tweet out praising the Hawks medical staff for sort of telling Shaw, 
that it's it's not safe. And I think that's progress, even though the NHL is still not, you know, going to admit the the link between body checking or you know, playing hockey and brain trauma. The fact that there are medical technicians or doctors on teams that are saying don't play, I think it's a sign that the awareness level has taken a leap forward. And, you know, as someone who I've been pretty public with it, I've suffered from it for years, I can tell you um, that if you have post-concussion syndrome like I do, each impact, it's easier to do it again. So like I've been in a car where, you know, I was in a car accident, a minor, minor car accident where nobody in the car was even hurt except I was because the just the whipping of my head affected me because I'd already had concussions before. So I think you see it compounding with these players. Every time you get one, it's easier to get the next one. And I think players are starting to recognize that pattern sooner that you come back and then there's another one and then you have a long absence, you come back and suddenly you're mysteriously gone from the lineup again. Sometimes it's not even announced because it wasn't even one big play that anyone even saw because it's easier to do it. I think that's what you're seeing with Stephen Johns. I don't think Stephen Johns is going to play again in the NHL. And I think Andre Kasha with the Boston Bruins is someone that I wonder if he's going to be another one of those under 30 players who decides not to play anymore. So I do think that's going to be the trend, especially once you're, it's sad, once you're down that path where it, you can aggravate it again so easily, like you're kind of, you're done. That That's that's what your life's going to be as an athlete. And it's really hard to fight back from that. I know Patrice Bergeron managed to do it early in his career. Sidney Crosby, we thought was in big trouble, but they're the exceptions, I think, rather than the norm, which is once you get too many of those in a short amount of time, they just keep happening and happening. So good on you, Andrew Shaw, and best of luck to you in whatever you do next. Um, let's talk about something more positive now. Jacob Chikrin. And Jacob Chikrin, someone who in his draft year 2016, early in the year or a year out even, I remember we did stories. I think it was you, Ken, in our magazine. You know, we were hyping up Chikrin as a pretty major prospect. He was he fell a little bit when, he, when it actually came time for him to get picked. But he was pretty hyped, had pretty exciting pedigree as a big, strong kid who could do it all. And we're seeing this classic template now where the big defenseman matures late. I, I, I say it all the time, I know, but it's the Chris Pronger template. And here we go. Jacob Chikrin, Chikrin, several years in the league, leads all defensemen in goals with 16 and 49 games, 27 goal pace. So Ryan, tell me, is Jacob Chikrin legitimately becoming a Norris Trophy candidate this season? I think you have to put him in the mix. I, I'm not necessarily saying he's a, the favorite. He might not even be a finalist, but I think he could get votes. If you look at his usage in Arizona, only Alex Goligoski has been on the ice for more defensive zone face-offs. Um, you know, Chikrin, you know, his possession numbers are okay. They're about 49%, but again, it's, it's you know, the best amongst Coyotes regulars on the blue line. So versus his teammates, he's doing quite well. And then obviously he has the offense. So I think you make a very good point where, you know, it, it took him a while to develop. And obviously Arizona hasn't had a, a lot of strong teams around him to sort of help lift him up over the years. Um, so what we're seeing now is a player really coming into his own. And it's very exciting. And Arizona, uh, you know, at least they're, they're still playing meaningful games. Not sure if they're going to make the playoffs at this point. But... I mean, I don't think a lot of us assumed that they would still be in the race at this point of the year. They kind of benefited from St. Louis swooning there. Um, it, it's been a great season. And I, I think that if you're a Coyotes fan, it's a real positive to have somebody like Chikrin step up um, because it, it points to a team that is headed in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a real vexing uh, um, decision for me to make when I, when I fill out my ballot this year. You know, you, you can pick five. You know, would I put him ahead of Victor Hedman? No. Would I put him ahead of Adam Fox? No. Would I have put him ahead of Shea Theodore? Probably not. Would I put him ahead of Dougie Hamilton? Probably not. That leaves Chris Letang. You know, so there's five right there. So does he make it into that group? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I'm not sure that he's there yet. Um, but what I do like about him, and I'm not going to trot out any analytics here, because I don't understand them most of the time. And, you know, like every boomer that I'll just avoid them, you know, and those charts often look like a, an ultrasound bearing very bad news. So I don't even understand what that is, but, but I will tell you this, I watch a lot of Phoenix or Arizona coyotes games and he looks like an NHL defenseman. Now he plays like an NHL defenseman, you know, he's got, he plays with authority. You know, my, my biggest criticism of Jacob Chikrin over the over the, the first couple of years of his, of his career was 
yeah, we get it. You're Hercules. We get it. Okay. We know you can out bench press everybody. You know, we know you're the fittest guy in the history of guys. Okay. But you got to start working on your hockey sense and you got to start working on your defensive awareness. And I think he's really, really done a lot of that over the last couple of years. And I think it's showing now his reads are, you know, much, much better. He's in way more in position. He's, you know, just a far better, you know, defenseman. He's not the greatest defensive defenseman, but he's not a liability. And then, on, and then he gives you so much on the other side that, you know, it really tilts, tilts the scale in his favor there. So. For sure. And it's interesting, you know, you and Ken, you cited a bunch of good Norse candidates. I think Kale McCarr could still get votes, even though he's had an abbreviated season. And Samuel Gerrard has been amazing as well. So I don't know if Chickren's going to get into that top five or or be a Norris Trophy finalist, but I do kind of wonder if he's even a better candidate to get down ballot heart trophy votes. And, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be in the top three or, you know, maybe top five, but in terms of how valuable he's been to his team, if Arizona makes the playoffs, he's playing 23 minutes a night. And you look at the division he's he's in, so he's facing nonstop Vegas and Colorado. His most common opponents face this year, the top three forwards, Landis Cog, McKinnon, Rantanen. Mm -hmm. And the score with him against them is even against that line for the season, which is pretty amazing. Coyotes, you know, they've been badly outchanced, outshot, out everything this year. If you look at those five and five analytics, but with Chikrin out there, it's, you know, they're still a little bit. Uh, out everything but it, it's close to breaking even and that says a lot considering that overall the team has been outplayed I think for much of the season so the overall impact I don't think he's going to quite be able to top those big time candidates but you know scoring 16 goals and playing the tough matchups defensively as well and helping the Coyotes kind of break even if they get in the playoffs like that's a really valuable player if you really want to be a literalist with the heart definition I'm not saying he's gonna you know he's not he's not in the McDavid or Matthews or even Crosby tier but he has been very valuable to his team so it's been exciting to see him blossom um so Cole Caulfield finally the, the Habs figure out their cap gymnastics and the little guy that could he debuts last night he gets, I think he plays about 15 minutes and he gets four shots on goal. He plays with uh, Thomas Tatar and Philip Deneau in the Brendan Gallagher spot. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be that annoying person that, that <laughs> cranks up the hype just for fun because hockey's fun. Sorry, everybody, but it's supposed to be fun. So I'm just gonna put you guys on the spot and I want you to predict Cole Caulfield's career goal total and his career high in a single season. Ken. Me first, did you say? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I look at number 22 with the Montreal Canadiens and I just can't help but think of Steve Shutt. Um, I, I, an older version of me <laughs> would, would say John Ferguson, uh, but, but Steve Shutt. And, and I do see some parallels there between these two guys. They're both like big time snipers. They both play the wing. You know, they both have that sort of net, you know, sort of, uh, attitude that they, you know, they're, they're, they're focused on scoring goals. You know, Steve Shutt scored 60 of them one year. I don't think, I don't think Cole Caulfield's going to do that. Steve Shutt had 408 goals for the Montreal Canadiens o- over the course of his career and 50 in the playoffs. He was great in the playoffs. I'll say, I'll say Cole Caulfield's careers, career number of goals will be 319 and his career high will be 34. Okay. I'm surprised he doesn't have that already. He should have had, like, judging by all the hype, he should have had, like, 34 by the end of his first game, shouldn't he? <laughs> fair, fair, yeah. Um, for me, I look at Cam Atkinson as a comparable, another small guy that can score, playing on a team that doesn't have a lot of offense. And obviously, Atkinson, you know, he did have Artemi Panarin, um, you know, during sort of his best years. So that helps in Columbus. Um, but when I look at coffee, you know, I'm looking at opportunity over the years. And I, I think what's important is that, you know, Montreal is going to have to face Tampa, Boston, Toronto right now. And then as the years go on, Ottawa is going to get a lot better as well. And Montreal doesn't have the centers necessarily to counter a lot of those teams. So I don't know how much Caulfield's actually going to have the puck, but when he does, it's probably going to go in the net. So I'm going to say that his yearly best, I think his best year is going to be 43 goals. 
because uh, Cam Atkinson once had 41, and I think Caulfield has, uh, you know, a, a little more elite skill than Atkinson. So I'll say 43, and I'm going to say 390 over his career. Okay. This is funny. I'm, I'm, I landed a different tier. That's good. It's more exciting that way. I think I'm, I'm more optimistic on Caulfield. I, I'm thinking more like his floor is Alex Dabrinkit, and I don't know what the ceiling is yet, but I kind of looked at his career stats. So looking at his NTDP and his Wisconsin numbers, always a super high volume shooter, shoots puck a lot, and also an accurate shooter. So, and also I factored in that small players tend to age quite well. In, in, if you look at a guy like Martin St. Louis, they just tend to be more durable, I, I, I find, um, especially forwards. So I gave him a 15-year career at an averaging 250 shots. I think at his peak, he could be in the 300s, but I gave him an average of 250, shooting at 15%. And, but then I was like, well, that makes some 562 goals. Like, oh, okay. That's a Hall of Famer. So that's a little optimistic. That's a lot of pressure to put on his shoulders. So I'm going to drop that down and say he's going to be in the 400s. Uh, but I think he's going to peak at like 48 goals. Uh, and the main thing for me with Cole Caulfield, why I'm, I'm very much a believer, is that it's he passes that test of he scored everywhere he's ever played. Every time he gets promoted, you know, you see certain players that they're big scores when they're younger and each level, the offense starts to fade away, fade away. And by the time they reach the NHL, oh, you're a checker now. It slowly melts away and you, you don't end up scoring at the NHL level. With Cole Caulfield, every promotion, you know, NTDP, he's scoring 70 goals. He's almost a goal per game with Wisconsin this year. And then he goes to the AHL, he keeps scoring. And again, what was it? Three goals in four games or something like that. He was scoring right away. Nothing seems to stop him from scoring no matter how many times he's promoted. So based on that, I think it's going to translate. I think it's a good sign. He got four shots in 15 minutes in his debut. So I'm optimistic. I think he's going to be one of the premier goal scorers in the league. So there was some interesting news yesterday. Uh, it reminded me of a Seinfeld thing. That's why I'm laughing. But Patrick was agent, his new agent, which is Neil Glasberg, who represents some coaches like John Torello, Mike Sullivan. He was quoted in an article from Luke Fox by Luke Fox saying that that Patrick Waugh would be interested. He's, you know, obviously a head coach GM of the Quebec Ramparts right now, but would be interested in a new, a job in the NHL again, whether it's coaching or president of hockey ops GM. It reminded me of that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza doesn't have a job and he's just listing to Jerry every job he could do. Like, oh, I could be a, I, I, I could, I could call, I could be an announcer on ball games. I, I like to, I always have good observations in front of the TV and Jerry's just like, well, those jobs usually go to broadcasters. And it's like Patrick Waugh, it's just like, he's kind of, it comes across as wishful thinking to me because it's not like he was the picture of success at the NHL level as a coach, but we'll get into that. Ryan, I want to start with you. Do you think Patrick Waugh deserves another shot in the NHL, whether it's a coach, GM, president of, of hockey ops, senior advisor, you name it, does he deserve it? I think he deserves a, a shot. I mean, he is a legend, and I I wonder if he's best suited for some sort of executive title, some sort of you know a, a president or you know um, sort of the Brendan Shanahan role, where you can kind of take heat off your GM. You can go you know talk to the uh, the corporate folk and 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 do all that kind of stuff. Because I mean, you know. A lot of people love Patrick Waugh, and, uh, you know, I, I think he'd be pretty well suited for that. You know, coaching, I think, you know, what we saw when he was in Colorado was a guy that was not up to speed with where the NHL was going. You know, those avalanche teams were really bad possession teams. Uh, they kind of relied on their goaltending, which – no surprise when you have one of the best goaltenders ever, he's probably going to concentrate on the crease. Um, and I know, you know, talking to Semyon Varlamov in the past, he said it was like having two goalie coaches uh, because you had Patrick Law there uh, on top of the regular goalie staff. So I, I don't know if I would trust him behind an NHL bench again when you have so many other candidates that uh, have yet to have a go. Like I'm thinking of Andre Tourney, uh, who's going to be working with Hockey Canada next year exclusively. Uh, who has had great success uh, in Major Junior with the Ottawa 67s. Um, you know, people like that I would like to see first because we, we know what Patrick Waugh is as an NHL coach. But as for, a, you know, a different job with an NHL team, yeah, I, I think he would be uh, uniquely qualified. And I, I think he, he can obviously handle the pressure. 
Well, I'm going to pivot on something both you guys said and go in a different direction. Number one, I do think Patrick Waugh was successful. I think 52 wins and winning the Jack Adams trophy makes you a successful coach at the NHL level. And the other thing is, is, is I, I, I'm, I'm completely flipped on the, on the, uh, in terms of what I would have Patrick Waugh doing. I wouldn't have Patrick Waugh going anywhere near a front office. I, I would have him behind the bench, um, you know, because he's a brilliant coach. You know, I mean, I think we know what Patrick Waugh is. Everybody knows what Patrick Waugh is. He's a very, very good coach who has trouble, you know, playing nice with others. You know, how, who does that sound like? Oh, let's see. Uh, Mike Keenan, uh, John Tortorella, uh, about 50 other coaches in the NHL who history who have had tons of chances. These guys have had a, these guys, you know, Mike Keenan coached everybody. <laughs> like he coached eight different teams and then he went to the KHL and coached a bunch of teams there. He even you know, coached us. He was podcasting with us and he was kind of like showing his, his leadership in the office. And we were like, okay, Mr. Keenan. Yes, yeah, sir. There you go. There you go. And, and you know, and I mean, John Tortorella this is his third stop and, Next year might be his fourth stop. <laughs> we don't know where that's going, but I, I think I think he has to be behind the bench. I I don't, and I don't think it can be in Montreal. I just think there's that would just be way too much drama. Just way too much drama for everybody to handle. Everybody's head would explode everywhere. <laughs> yes. So I don't think it should be Montreal. I think it should be somewhere else. But I, I don't like I do not want him in my front office because one, he doesn't play nice with others. Two. I just get the sense that he'd be the kind of guy that would want to trade everybody after a three game losing streak, you know? Mm -hmm. um, whereas as a coach, he can only do so much. So um, I'd have him behind the bench. I'd give him another chance. If I were a team, if I were one of those teams that, you know, was a country club needed to be shaken up, you know, needed something behind the bench, needed a, you know, face the franchise. I would, I would get him. He's probably going to want a five-year contract and you sign him to that five-year contract knowing that you're probably going to get about three and a half out of him. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it's going to be. Hmm. Yeah. I think I agree with things both of you said. And, and I, I do think that Wa probably is a better fit as a motivator and a coach, because, you know, when you, you resign over, creative differences or philosophical differences with Joe Sackick. Yeah, you couldn't get along with Joe Sackick. Like I can't picture <laughs> Joe Sackick raising Joe Sackick. his voice. Yeah. Like what would Joe Sackick do in a fight? Like, Hey, stop that. Like he's so calm and, and it's your Stanley cup winning teammate. You couldn't get along with him. So that's, that surprised me. And I think it confirms, you know, your theory, Ken, that, that I don't think was a front office guy. Um, I also agree with Ryan though. I don't actually think Wall was a great coach in the NHL so far. I think he got lucky. He wrote a lot of goaltending. The abs were, dominated in the possession game they were a paper tiger and that was when analytics were just that was 2013-14 analytics was just kind of coming into the consciousness and a lot of people predict that, that were analytics conscious predicted the avalanche would take a big tumble the next year and they did they just fell right out of like, right off the map right and I, I to me that kind of it took a lot away from the jack adams that Wall won at the same time i agree that he's got there's some magic with him and his motivational skill. So I understand your theory, Ken, about the kick in the pants. I want the chaos, though. Dominic Ducharme, the reviews have been middling so far, from what I understand, of this player usage. I think there could be an opening there. You know you need a bilingual bilingual coach, so your options are limited. No, so no. So let's no. bring St. Patrick <laughs> back to Montreal for the big reunion. And it would, it would just be great theater. And then also, like, you have Patrick Waugh and Carey Price on the same team. Like if Carrie Price is struggling, just oh, mm, the drama injected into my veins, baby. I want that. <laughs> uh, looking at the standings, oh, Stephen has something to say. If Wall returns to Montreal, get a twenty-four-seven series on him. Yes, absolutely. Great call. Yeah, absolutely. Great call. Yeah. Yes, I would love to follow him around with the camera. Um, so looking at that, that the standings in the, in the, I guess it's the, it's the West. Yes, the West. Um, you know, obviously. Colorado and Vegas have been the talk of the season. They've sort of been jockeying position, but quietly Minnesota has won seven games in a row, maybe the quietest seven game winning streak of the year. So I'm curious what you guys think in terms of, is this team for real? And are we not taking them seriously enough as a threat to the Avs and Vegas? Cause everyone's assuming it's one of those teams automatically coming out of that division. So where do you land on this Ken? Oh yeah. They're very much for real. They score quickly. They score a lot. 
and they just they just smother you. Like I I I think they're very very much for real. I would not want to have to play that team in the first round of the playoffs. And uh, you know I mean they've just they've you know Kirill Kaprizov is is the rookie of the year. He's a rookie of the year, right? I mean Jason Robertson. It's a nice story, and he's kind of he's making he's making a few moves here and there. But I mean the other night Kirill Kaprizov, I think basically just said, oh. I understand there's there's now a debate about the Calder Trophy. Well, I think I'll end that right yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think this is a team that um, is strong in all areas, um, and they and they they can score like the you know I mean the Minnesota Wild the you know sort of the narrative on them forever was you know they were a bunch of hardworking guys who you know had trouble putting the puck in the net. Well, that is not the case now. And I, I really do think they are they are for very much for real. Yeah, I mean they're a very interesting team right now because you look at it and they have most of the elements you want. They're getting good goaltending. Obviously, they have some very high end defensemen, and as Ken mentioned, Kaprizov, fantastic. Joel Eriksson Eck uh, having a breakout season. Um, I wonder if. They have enough guys that have done it before to get through that division. I think that they can they can maybe pull off one upset. Uh, can they pull off two upsets? You know, if you, if you assume they have to go through Vegas and Colorado to get out of there, do they have enough to do that? Maybe. Uh, it, it all comes down to that sort of crunch time. And, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, I think, you know, that's that's not the guy – you really have to worry about. He seems like the kind of kid that thrives in those pressure pressure situations. But can Kevin Fiala step his game up? Um, you know, can Jordan Greenway step his game up? What does Zach Brise still have in the tank? What does Matt Sicarello still have in the tank? Once you get to those playoff games where things get that much harder, I think those are sort of the big questions where the answer could certainly be yes. You know, we we've, we've seen those veterans thrive before. And, you know, we've seen Jordan Greenway play at the Olympics. We've seen him at the world juniors. So he knows pressure situations. Uh, Kevin Fiala, obviously a, a pretty competitive guy um, when he sort of gets his feet under him. So I think they have those elements. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the really fun storylines of the playoffs is how real is Minnesota right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, what's fascinating to me about the Wild is that their identity has actually kind of changed. So we know, of course, Kirill Kaprizov helped inject offense into this team. Their power play is not very good, but overall, they're a top 10 team in offense, and they've become pretty deep at forward because you got guys who were you know, prospects who we weren't sure if they were going to take that leap, but Jordan Greenway takes quite a leap. Joel Erickson Eck finally is becoming that disruptive two-way guy that we always thought he was going to be. So I look at this team now, I'm, I'm like, okay, they're actually pretty deep. But the weird thing is that their defense was their calling card the last couple of years, and people still associate the Wild with defense. Last couple of seasons before this one, they were the best team in the league in terms of limiting chances, limiting shots, limiting high danger, all that stuff. They graded out number one. This year, they're actually not that great, and they give up a lot of chances, a lot of shots, and they've been bailed out a lot by their goaltending. Cam Talbot, Kapokakinen had his moments as well, but Cam Talbot's been really good. The Wilds, they're still good at limiting the high danger chances, but overall, they're not as good defensively. It's almost like they've traded a little bit of offense and they've lost a little bit of their defensive effectiveness. So to me, I think they're more balanced, which makes them a better overall team. But the way the division format is structured this year, I don't think they're going to get enough points to catch Colorado and Vegas. Maybe they could catch one of them, but I don't think they're going to get to first place. So and I also don't think they're going to fall to fourth place. So they're guaranteed pretty much to play Colorado or Vegas in the first round. They're going to be irritating for one of those two teams, but I don't think they're going to win. So to me, they're, they're for real. They're a good, not great team. They're going to get better. if They have more offense coming like Matthew Boldy. That's going to make things even more exciting, but I just can't see a scenario where they get out of the first round just because of the draw in this tough divisional format. So one more before we get to the listener mailbag. So last week, of course, there was the frustrating news around the hockey world. The Women's World Championship, the IHF, cancels it very last minute, extremely last minute, um, because the government of Nova Scotia pulls the plug suddenly. They're worried about the rising COVID cases. And 
as we record this podcast, we know that, you know, reportedly the IHF is still scrambling to find an alternate site. I do think it's going to work out. They're going to find one. But it was interesting that, you know, when asked about it, they, the IHF spokespeople, they said they just didn't have a plan B because they didn't see this coming. It was so last minute. Do you buy that, that in the world of COVID, you don't have any plan B, Ryan? With the double IHF, I kind of do because that's kind of how they operate. Uh, you know, I mean, this is an organization that took what, like six months to pull the worlds from Belarus, even though there was like, you know, open civil unrest in the streets uh, of the capital. You had all these people, you know, protesting and, and getting beaten by the police. Um, it, it took them a long time to be like, all right, fine, maybe we should move up major hockey tournament out of that city, um, you know, that being Minsk, obviously. Um, so for them to, you have to understand, there's a lot of bureaucracy with the IIHF and things move very slowly. And I think they should have planned better uh, because, I mean, we've been living through this pandemic for more than a year now. And things have already been touch and go with a lot of tournaments. A lot of IIHF tournaments have already been canceled at the lower levels. And then, you know, with the world under 18s, it was originally supposed to be in Michigan. Uh, then they, they had it moved to Texas where it's going on right now. And they have people in the building uh, because obviously, you know, Texas doesn't have the same restrictions as other places do, uh, particular, particularly Canada, uh, where obviously the, the women's world were supposed to take place. So, like, I buy it. I'm not saying I uh, agree with it, but I can totally see the IIHF just kind of getting blindsided by this because it's the sort of thing that would happen to them. Yeah, and they did absolutely and totally get blindsided by this. There's no question about it. Up until two hours before the, it was canceled, they were in consultation with the medical officers and the and 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 members of the of the government. And it was a go and then something, somebody saw something or some projection and then it was gone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to give the, the IHF a, a bit, cut them a bit of slack here. I, I think, you know, I think Hockey Canada has got to take some of this too. You know, I mean, if you're going to be the one that hosts the championship, then maybe it's up to you to have the plan B, you know, to, for you to be able to say, no, let's move it to, a bubble in Edmonton or, you know, wherever, wherever it is that we can play. Um, you know, I, I, I know the optics of it look terrible. Like they do, they really look bad, you know, I mean, and it just seems like the men are able to get these tournaments going and the, and the women can't um, for whatever reason. And, you know, I mean, the under 18 women's was, was canceled. The under 18 men's is going ahead. You know, the, 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 you know, the women's world is canceled or, or postponed at the very least. The men's world is going ahead. So it's not good optics. But, you know, I mean, the World Juniors was held at a time when we were kind of we were kind of in that phase where it was looking pretty good. You know, like cases were down that, you know, the second wave sort of had, I think, had passed or maybe it hadn't started yet. But anyways, we were, you know, the NHL was gearing up to come back. You know, we were all sort of in that you know, it was, it was a time where there was a lot more optimism than there is now. And I, I, you know, I think this is a lot of bad luck. I think from now on, you know, if I'm the IHF, um, you know, as part of the bid package, you have to have a plan B, you know, in, in case for anything like, mm -hmm. you know, for something like a, like a situation in Belarus, political unrest, uh, you know, tornado, uh, you know, whatever you have to be able to provide us with a, a, a with a, a venue that you can go to fairly quickly and uh, without much delay and and I, I would I would hope they're going to learn from this but you know I mean like I said I think Hockey Canada I don't think Hockey Canada gets off the hook here either mm -hmm. yeah you guys make good points and to me I I don't think there's any you know malicious intent here of course like there's no intent to wrong the women here but I still don't blame women's hockey in general for feeling like the redheaded stepchild here, because, you know, the very fact you don't have a plan B to me, it's negligent. And to me, that is disrespectful to the sport because if there's one, you know, you can say, we never could have predicted this. There's one thing predictable about a pandemic. It's unpredictability. 
That is predictable. We don't know what's going on with these variants. Things can change on a dime. They have over and over across the past 14 months. The one thing we do know that's consistent is the inconsistency. So to me, it was egregious to not have a plan B. And I, I just, I don't understand it. I, I think if it was by comparison to the NHL, the NHL, you know, has drawn up tons of contingencies for every scenario. I'm sure I wouldn't be remotely surprised if they had a backup bubble plan sort of just stashed away as an emergency in case we need to do a bubble for the last two rounds of the playoffs. They thought ahead. And I just, I think it's inexcusable that they didn't think ahead during a pandemic when things are constantly changing. You can say, oh my God, we didn't expect this. Well, yeah, it's a pandemic. Get your head in the game, Hockey Canada. Get your head in the game, IIHF. That's my, my take. Let's do some listener mailbag questions now. The first question is from Lace em Up. Brady Kachuk versus Andre Svechnikov. Who gets paid more money in the offseason? And by money, we're talking AAV. I went back and forth on this one. My first instinct was to say Svechnikov. Um, he's so important to the Canes. He won the Steve Chason Award as their most dedicated player as a sophomore. He's got a higher offensive ceiling. I think he's shown it so far. But sometimes players that are into that tier – you know, if you look at Svechnikov's comparables, he might be one of those players, I think, who's going to sign a bridge contract to get paid more sooner. So I could see him signing, you know, three or four years for $6 million, something like that. Whereas with the Senators, I know there's some buzz toward naming Brady Kachuk captain. And the Sens have shown a tendency to lock up their guys longer, if you look at, like, Thomas Shabbat, for example. So I'm going to predict that Kachuk signs a longer deal than Svechnikov. And because he's signing for longer, he's going to get a higher AAV. So maybe he signs, you know, seven years, seven and a half million, something like that. So I'm going to say Kachuk actually gets a higher AAV. What say you can? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I think, I think Ottawa is in the situation now where it's building up and rebuilding a lot of goodwill with its fan base. Um, you know, I think, I think what they want to do is they want to get those young guys locked up and, and he's, he might be the most important one. I don't know if he still leads the league in hits and shots, but there was a point this season when he was leading the league in both hits and shots. Um, you know, that sort of indicates that he is a multifaceted player who is very, very much a part of whatever is going to happen in Ottawa over the next couple of years. I mean, I and I think he's a bigger, I think quite frankly, he's a bigger part of the future of the Ottawa senators going forward then Svechnikov would be with the Carolina Hurricanes. I just, I just, you know, as you say, there's, you know, he's got, ca he's, he's got captain DNA in him. You know, he's, he, he, he can have an effect on the game in any kind of game. Um, you know, he's very versatile. You know, I could see him being, you know, um, you know, the de facto is kind of Daniel Alfredson of that franchise, being the guy that, you know, stays there, has a bunch of success as a captain, and, and I think they're, I think Ottawa, you know, a team like that, I think will be willing to pay a premium for that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I just did a story on the senators for future watch. <laughs> the plug. Thank you. And one of my favorite quotes that I've ever gotten was from Trent Mann, the chief amateur scout of the Ottawa senators. When he was talking about Brady Kachuk, he said, he drags players into battle with him. He's yeah. the type of guy that you can gauge others against. So basically, you know, if you're Ottawa and you're looking at prospective players coming in, you say, this is Brady Chuck, Brady Kachuk. He's the standard. Can you meet his standard? Because if you just want to sit back, you're probably not going to fit in here anymore. Uh, and then you look at some of the, the young guys coming up. Jake Sanderson is in that same boat. Shane Pinto is in that same boat. These are the kind of guys that they want. Tim Stutzla has already proven that he's in that boat. Hyper-competitive guy. So I think Brady Kachuk is the most important member of the Senators at this point, and they will pay him accordingly. I think, you know, I, I would agree with Matt that Andre Svechnikov might have the higher offensive ceiling, but I also think that when it comes to this contract negotiation, Svechnikov is kind of in the same boat as Nathan McKinnon was coming out of his entry-level deal where it's like, okay, we all know you're an amazing player, but you didn't have three great years in your rookie deal. Um, you know, McKinnon had the big sophomore slump and Svechnikov, you know, this year in his third year, his numbers are down from last year. And you want, obviously, to see them going the other way. 
So I think, as Matt said, you know, bridge deal makes a lot of sense for Sveshnikov where, you know, maybe he goes two or three years. And then at that point, if he's like an 85, 90 point guy consistently, then you open up the bank for him. But at this point, to me, it's Kachuk and you, you lock him down as much as you can. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I think about it and I think, okay, if you asked every GM in the league, would you trade Svechnikov or Kachuk straight up? And you also gave Don Waddell a truth serum. I'm not sure you wouldn't get 31 soon to be 32 guys saying, absolutely. I would make that deal in a heartbeat. Um, I, I, can't imagine there would be more than one or two that would say, yeah, I'll, I'll take Brady Kachuk <laughs> for sure. Interesting. It's funny. I just keep thinking, <laughs> thinking of the Montreal Canadians having being on either side of those two in, in the draft and being like, we're going cock and yummy. <laughs> Next question is from Scott Baker. What's going on with Jack Hughes? The talent level is clearly there, but he still seems to be playing as if he's a major junior. He never played major junior, almost like he's struggling to adjust to the NHL after almost two seasons. Um, I'm not worried about Jack Hughes. Uh, He's going to be fine. He's actually shown underlying numbers that are really improved year over year. Last year, he was ridiculously unlucky. He still is this year, but he's generating way more chances. He's shooting the puck way more. The puck's just not going in. But if you look at all the forwards who've played at least 300 minutes at five and five, he's in the 79th percentile in shots per 60 minutes. He's in the 25th percentile in shooting percentage. So he's getting he's getting to the net. He's generating chances. He's driving the play. The puck's just not going in. Uh, so to me, it's interesting, you know, uh, Ryan, you just mentioned the Nathan McKinnon comparison, but I could see that happening to Jack Hughes in a few years because the chances are there and he's showing signs of improving. It's just everything's happening except for the puck going in the net. And maybe you could blame that on, on his supporting cast as well. So I'm not worried about him yet. I think he's going to be fine. I know you can't put every egg in the analytics basket, but even if you watch him, like he's, he's there, he's getting to the net. He's just, the puck is just not going in the net enough, but I think he's going to be fine. Uh, let's go with uh, Mr. Kennedy. What say you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried at all. I feel like we, we answer this question every two weeks. People are very, <laughs> uh, people are very concerned with Jack Hughes. I'm, I'm not concerned. You know, he's still finding his way. He came into the league at a really tough time. You know, he, he didn't have the opportunity to play 82 games last year because of the pandemic. He doesn't have the chance to play 82 games this year because of the pandemic. So if you think about it, in terms of actual experience, he's still almost a rookie. Um, and I, I think we need to treat him as such. He's finding his way. He's going to get bigger and stronger as time goes on. And as Matt mentioned, he's going to get better line mates as time goes on as well. You know, you're going to, you know, Alex Holtz is now signed to his entry level deal with the Devils. Um, you know, Nolan Foote is getting his first NHL reps and, and coming up and, and getting some experience. So you're, you're getting some shooters to play with Jack Hughes, who is a fantastic playmaker. Um, so I, I think you, you got to give him more time. I know it's frustrating in New Jersey, uh, particularly now when you have a lot of teams in that division that need to win every game and therefore uh, will not take a night off against the Devils, who are still in the midst of a rebuild. But it, it's coming. And uh, you just, you just got to think about how young he still is. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a reason why nobody's ever made the jump from – the NDTP to the, to, to the NHL. Right. <laughs> and that he was the first one. He, he probably wasn't ready, you know I mean? But what are you going to do when you pick the guy first overall? Um, you know, I mean, he, I agree with you guys about, you know, the skill level and you know, the, 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 uh, the, the chances that he's getting, I, I'm not, I'm not sure I buy the unlucky thing. Like I, 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 you know, I mean, how, unlucky for you can you be for that long i i think he needs to get better around the net i think he needs to get better around the net he needs to shoot better he needs to shoot harder he needs to he needs to do better things around the net and until he does that he's not going to score goals and he probably will i mean Sidney crosby came into the league he was terrible on face-offs terrible on face-offs now he's one of the best face-offs guys in the league he didn't he barely ever shot the puck you know, I mean, the, and, and he did not have a very good shot when he came into the league. And now, I mean, you know, he's a guy that, you know, that, that can score goals. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Jack Hughes other than the fact that he's still 
you know, a 19 year old kid, an undersized 19 year old kid playing in a in the best league in the world full of men. And it's going to take time. And if you have the patience, which I'm sure they will, um, you know, this will work. This will work out just fine. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, because obviously the, 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 the NHL has become more of a small man's league in recent years of the slash and crackdown. But it's like, what do Johnny Gaudreau, Patrick Kane, Mitch Marner, Alex Dabrinkit, what do they all have in common? They're wingers. Mm-hmm. And Jack Hughes playing center at his size, I think, is a yeah. taller order. So I do wonder if eventually the better option for Hughes is going to be to become a winger. But we'll see what happens down the road. If he, It depends on, you know, whether he's, he finds that scoring touch. Uh, we'll do one more question from a regular now. Branton and Raven coming back with another good oh, question. Wow. Any surprising RFA trades you could see happening this offseason, similar to the Devin or Devon Taves trade? I, I I was tempted to say Patrick Line, but I think you're right on the mark with, with Taves because and I think it's going to be an Islander again. This time it's going to be Anthony Beauvillier. So he's an RFA. The Islanders, they're jammed against the cap again. They're projected only for five million dollars. The cap's probably going to be flat. You have to re-sign restricted free agent Adam Pellick, who's been part of the best, arguably defensive, defensive pair in the league this year. You also have to re-sign Ilya Sorokin, an RFA. You got $5 million. You have this extremely deep forward group. You're having Oliver Wallstrom get his taste of the pros now or the NHL now. Kiefer Bellows getting a look as well, who plays the left side like Beauvillier. You're deep enough, I think. So to me, Beauvillier is going to be expendable. He's had a pretty decent regular season. He tends to be way better in the playoffs like almost a different human being, like he transforms. Um, but I think his regular season output is, is relatively expendable for the Islanders, uh, at least a lot more expendable than what Sorokin and Pellick bring. So I will predict Anthony Beauvillier gets traded. Could be claiming the expansion draft as well, but I'll, I'll just say trade because that's the, the question here. Uh, Kenny, what you got? Uh, go Ryan first. I, I, <laughs> I'm still trying to think of somebody. <laughs> okay, yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I... I too was thinking, you know, Patrick Line would be an option, but I'm also looking at Vince Dunn in St. Louis. Um, you know, a, a young mobile defenseman who is kind of behind a lot of guys and the blues are in a similar situation to the Islanders, not as drastic when it comes to the cap. But if you think about some of the guys they need to re-sign, uh, you know, Jaden Schwartz, for example, you know, they have to make a decision on Mike Hoffman, but it feels like he's probably gone. Um, but nonetheless, they've got to make some of those decisions and they have a lot of veteran blue liners under contract already. They also have Scott Perunovich coming up. Uh, you know, he's currently on the taxi squad, but he was an amazing college player with Minnesota Duluth, did nothing but win there. And he is mobile and has a lot of the same traits as Vince Dunn, uh, but probably is a little better defensively. Um, having said that, you can probably get something pretty nice for Vince Dunn because he is. Uh, a, a pretty good young defenseman. So I could see that being a situation where, you know, Dunn gets a, a bigger role on another team and St. Louis gets something back in return that they can use kind of later on, whether it's prospects or draft picks. Uh, so I could see that being a fit. Can I say Cody Glass here? Yeah, I think, I think is, he, is he an RFA? I thought he has one more year, but I forget. Because this is his second season, is it not? Right. It might be. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I mean, but anyways, he's eligible for an extension. Anyways, that might, that might be a guy because, you know, Vegas is in the win now mode and he would be the kind of guy that, uh, well, one more year for glass. So I guess I can't use him, but I'm going to use him anyways. He would be the kind of guy that would be, I, 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 I think a guy that teams would want, you know, mm-hmm. if they're giving up something, you know, a guy with term left on his deal, you know, a, a, a difference maker with term left on his deal you know, that might be a guy, but um, I have to admit, I, I didn't, I didn't really research that question and I'm uh, sorry. Principal's office. Did, did I steal your pick? Like, were you going to do Beauvillier? No, I completely had forgotten about that question. No. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, it happens. It happens, man. Yeah. It's happened to me on like, live I, didn't, and... I didn't, I actually didn't read that question. I didn't know that one was coming. So it's all good. It's yeah, all well, good. That's, that's my fault. Sorry, boys. Give me a no mulligan. No worries. No worries. Okay, we're going to finish it off with rapid fire. I will be the host. Ken, you will be the first answer. Ryan, the second answer. We shall begin. You have one coach all time to coach you in all sports. That's a hockey coach. Who's your coach, mm-hmm. Ken? Wow. Um, 
one guy to coach me in all sports in anything you do. So you, if you need a coach for anything, okay, this John is your Cooper. guy, John Cooper, John Cooper, mm. won a Stanley cup. He's won at all levels. He was a lacrosse player in university. He played football in high school. He was a really good football player in high school. Um, yeah. John Cooper. Hmm. I, w- I was going to say Scotty Bowman, and I still might, but I also want to point out that Lou Lamorello, uh, when he was at Providence College, he used to hang out with their basketball coach uh, who went on to coach the Lakers at one point, and he got a lot of good stuff from him. So I'm torn between Lamorello and Bowman. Um, I think I'll go Bowman just because he has more rings. I'm going to go Gabby Bruce Boudreaux, even though there's no championship element. I just, I just want someone that I enjoy hanging around for the rest of my life. He's a good talker. He really likes nerdy things like comic books. Uh, he's a big comic book guy. Remember he told me that a while back and we, we had to talk about Spider-Man and stuff. Um, and he's, I, I, it was some Minnesota wild players that were telling me this, that he just, he unlocks, he's an unlocker of potential in people. He finds their strengths and he finds a way to turn them into their best selves. That's like his, his career pattern, even though he doesn't get the Stanley cup, he's made so many players better under his watch. So I just, I like to have that kind of guy around positive reinforcement. Next one. What is your all time pump up song? Ken. Pump up the jam. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I know I have obscure taste in music, but Thunderstruck by ACDC. Okay. That's it's just unbeatable. Or For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. That one I will air drum to in the press box. Um, but you can't beat Thunderstruck. Nice. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm going to say For Those About to Rock by ACDC. I just love that intro. Also, Hallowed Be the, by, Hallowed Be the Name by, by Iron Maiden is pretty sweet too. Uh, nice. Ken, does Connor McDavid have a 150-point season in his career? Yeah, probably this year. <laughs> He's at 81 right now. He only needs 19 to get to 100. So what's another 50 in 10 games? Um, does he have a... I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because I think... And and I hope this isn't the case, but this may be the best season of Connor McDavid's career. We may, we may be seeing the very, very best of Connor McDavid and if he was going to do it in a full season, it would have been this year. I'm not sure that he'll have it in him later. Yeah. I'm going to say no because assuming the Oilers do not win the Stanley Cup this year, I think McDavid is going to get introspective and say, how can I lock, unlock my inner Sidney Crosby? I need to be better defensively. So I think we could see a, a future McDavid where he still gets like 100 points but he's more focused on the defensive side where maybe he's watching Crosby or Patrice Bergeron video more and trying to impact the game at both ends of the ice more evenly. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Both of you, I'm going to say he does get a 140 and it's next year. He's going to get one more shot to post big numbers while he has a full season to do it. I think he's going to want that one more time. Uh, what is your worst injury suffered while playing a sport? Ken. Mm. Uh, sprained thumb. Yeah. I, uh, playing volleyball in school, not never, never really went to the dirty areas. So didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although one time, true story, we used to, and, and I grew up in Sudbury and we used to actually play our games outdoors. And I took a slap shot in the foot when it was minus 30 one time. And that was incredibly painful. No long-term effects. Um, but I was screaming. I, I was screaming. It was very cold out and it was a very hard shot and it was the 1970s and the skates weren't that good. So, yeah. Nice. Both times I broke my wrist were one, I fell out of a tree and one, I fell off my bike. So neither of those count as sports. So the worst was, uh, in softball. I took, and Ken was there cause he was oh, on my softball yeah. team. That turned I the whole season around. Yeah, I took a, a, there was a liner. I always played first base and a line drive. It was really bad gravel. It hit a rut. And just before it got to me, it went straight up and it hit me in the eye. So I got a black eye from that, which isn't, 
horrible, but I saved a run and uh, we won that game, if I recall. Well, not only that, it turned our whole season around. Don't you remember? We were like a middling team and we were losing that game. And then this happens and we all rallied around it. We didn't lose the rest of the year. I don't That's think awesome. we lost the rest of the year. We, and we, won, we ended up winning the championship that year. Champions. That was great. Yeah. Oh, I also, I was refereeing one time and I got hit in the, right here with a puck by a Ooh. kid by the name of Norm Krumschmidt who went on to play at Ferris State and uh, had a career in Europe. And nice. he was he was chopping for the puck and it came up right up before we wore visors as referees. Again, late 70s, early 80s. Took it. Well, I was bleeding like a stuffed pig. It was amazing. I got like five stitches. So there you go. <laughs> and for listeners, Ken said right here, he was touching his eyebrow. Ken pulled the <laughs> Ken pulled the Buck Martinez for you Blue Jays fans. You'll get that joke. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. People listen to this too. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I, I'll kill those positive vibes by I suffered a, a life-changing concussion that like significantly <laughs> destroyed my quality of life for the next 10 years or 15 years playing football, pickup football, tackle, pickup football like an idiot. Uh, because at, the, at our university, uh, Western, the student paper and the student politicians have a rivalry and every year they play a football game at the end of the year and every, people get, there's so many bad injuries and I, I crashed head on head with my own teammate uh, while tackling oh. a, a big tall guy. And that was that. Okay, next question. Uh, you've killed someone and you did it. So you're going to jail for life. You're on death row and uh, you're not, there's no parole. You, you get your final meal. What do you choose, Ken? um i'd probably choose uh something with chicken chicken and pasta pretty pretty lame and what are you a hockey player well plus plus, i I, i'm thinking you know i'm probably i'm gonna be dead in a couple hours i'm probably not very hungry anyway (laughs) it's probably not my first you know i'm probably not like Oh wow, this is going to be great! I'm pro- I probably have a few butterflies in my stomach on account of I'm going to be electrocuted in a few minutes. <laughs> so yeah, chicken and pasta, I suppose. But I would want like lots of beer, lots and lots of beer. Mm. This is a fantastic question, and uh, the state of Texas actually used to post what the last meals were of executed prisoners on their website. Uh, don't ask me how I know that, but, uh, I would go, uh, ribs, wings, uh, a biscuit from Popeye's fries. Uh, and then for dessert, it would be a brownie with, uh, peanut butter, chocolate, ice cream on the top and a Dr. Pepper. So basically and, what... <laughs> and uh, I would choose okay. firing Why would you have to worry about getting executed? After eating all that, you're <laughs> hardened and you'd die anyways. <laughs> That's fair. And, and true story, that Ryan was just reading off of what he ate for lunch every single day when we worked in an office together. Right. That was just Ryan. And, lunch. He, he, you would also have like Parmesan cheese over, over the whole thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can I get that parmed, please? <laughs> I'm going to uh, get cocky. I, I, my, my answer is just Thanksgiving dinner. Like I'm bringing it. I want all the different plates and the, the, the gravy, the stuffing, the turkey, the mashed potatoes. Everything's got to be brought. And I, I'm given a giant table spread and I get to eat this giant table with my Thanksgiving dinner. Last question. Whose doghouse would you rather be in? John Tortorella or Mike Keenan? Ken. I'm going to say Mike Keenan. Um I saw something that uh, somebody, some uh, one of one of uh, Alexander Mc, or, uh, yeah, Alexander McGillney's former teammates said one time Mike Keenan was reaming him out and 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 McGillney looked up at him and said, "Hey, hey, Mike, you know how I left, uh, you know, Russia and left everything behind, and they said they were going to kill my whole family, and I was really scared and everything. Do you think you're really scaring me right now?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and Glenn Healy, one of Glenn Healy's favorite lines with Mike Keenan was. He calls, this is before they won the cup. He calls, uh, he calls Glenn Healy into his office and he says, okay, Glenn, what's the biggest difference between me and Al Arbor? And he says, four cups. <laughs> so I feel like, I feel like you'd be able to, you'd be able to go back at Keenan a little more than you would with Torts. Uh, I think Torts, once you're in the doghouse, it's uh, pretty much permanent residence. Hmm. I think I'd actually rather go Tortorella because then I could get traded and uh, I wouldn't have to play for him anymore. And I, and I would probably have more success wherever I went, unless I was Max Domi. 
Hmm, that's a tough one. See, I actually think you're more likely to be traded if you're in Keenan's doghouse. He has more of a history of influencing the coach. Whereas Torts' doghouse, you just get, you just don't play. But still, my answer is Torts because I think I can, I can talk my way out of Torts' doghouse. Torts is more emotional, and at least like there's some life in his eyes when he's reaming you out. Whereas I think Keenan is more like he's he's shutting you down, but he's also he's he's an ice man, and it's harder to to crack his exterior and get in there. So I I think I I would find it harder to escape. Keenan's doghouse. So I'm going with Torts because I can I can fight fire with fire. I can match his emotion and energy and and hash it out with him mm-hmm. and maybe you know have a cry and a beer. So I'm going Torts, and that concludes rapid fire for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back getting ready for the stretch run of the season next week. Thank you for watching and listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.